Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. Hello and welcome to the podcast. My guest today is Kara Halter, Director of Digital Learning Strategy and Solutions at GP Strategies. Kara, how are you? Oh, good today. A little cold maybe, but doing well. Are you blanketed under a lot of snow? We are, especially for this part of the country, a lot more than we normally get during the winter. So now you've been on the show before a bunch of times, but for listeners who don't know you, say a few words about your work and one fascinating thing about you that most people don't know. All right. I am very lucky to be able to work with a team of incredible designers and developers to work with a whole variety of companies to design and develop learning solutions. And I say learning solutions generically because I've really been fortunate over the last probably three plus years that most of that work has been focused on what we would call modern learning solutions and really implementing a lot of new learning technologies, really trying to think about learning in innovative ways. I haven't built an e-learning course in a really long time, which I don't think is a bad thing. I oversee a, a large team and really work with a lot of our vendors and our partners on developing a lot of those different types of solutions. So in any given week, I might talk to, I don't know, five, 10, sometimes 15 different clients. So because of that, I, I really think you know, it gives me a good sense of what's going on in the learning space. What are the challenges people are facing? What are the new kinds of things we're doing? So it's a really fun place to sit. Excellent. Oh, that other question. What's something fascinating about me? I, so I, this isn't necessarily something people don't know, but I think as new people get to know me, it's something they tend to learn fairly quickly and it usually comes across as surprising. And that is that I play roller derby. Oh. So I actually skate with the local team here in Cincinnati, Ohio. I've been skating with the Cincinnati Roller Girls for almost 10 years now. So it's a big part of who I am, but uh, I think people who don't know that side of me when they hear that are sometimes a little surprised. <laughs> Very cool. Do you have a rollerball name? I do. I go by Icaramba. Icaramba. Nice. That's a cool rollerball name. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's uh, not anything that I ever dreamed I would be doing in my 30s and 40s, but it's a hobby I found late in life, and it's been so much fun. That does sound like fun. Alrighty, so on to our topic today. Now, thanks to COVID, we've really all undergone a sort of global experiment on learning. For parents, especially with younger kids, that's meant shifting from kids being in school to suddenly being at home and doing all their learning through the screen. And in the corporate world, there's been a shift too, right? L&D professionals and learners have had to make similar adjustments to doing all or at least most of their learning from a distance. So in other words, there's been some pretty major changes to what in your line of work is called the learner experience. So let's start right there. What does that term learner experience mean to you in a corporate context? Yeah, that's a great question. And you are so right that the learning world has been moving in that digital direction and virtual direction for a long time, but COVID forced everyone there, whether they were prepared for it or not. So that's actually been really a lot of fun for, I think, a lot of people in our side of the business is some of our clients that didn't necessarily want to go there have been forced to go there. So it's really opened up a lot of new conversations with us. But when we talk about learner experience, I think I've been in this industry for 
20 plus years now. And once upon a time, we had really pretty limited options for what we could build for people, right? Like we had instructor-led training and that evolved into a virtual instructor-led training, but we really had that face-to-face, person-to-person kind of training. And then we had e-learning. And there's probably some other things that you could throw into that e-learning bucket, like videos or maybe interactive PDFs, things like that. But generally, you kind of had these two buckets of things to think about. And LMSs were designed to support those two modalities. And that's where our brains went to of pick one of those modalities when we started talking about training. And that that sort of, it was this binary scale. ILT was a two-way communication. E-learning's a one-way communication. One synchronous, one asynchronous. One scaled a lot better than the other. And really in the world that we are in now is that that learning ecosystem has just grown to be so big. Um, there's so many different options out there now from a technology perspective, from just a design and development types of platforms that you can use perspective. I, the options are just limitless. And so what I mean by that is you're starting to hear about things like chatbots and how they fit into the learning space or curation platforms or even AR and VR, the virtual reality world or adaptive learning or gamification. Like there's all these other new words that are starting to come into that space that weren't a thing before. So I think that's part of what I'm talking about when you're talking about learning experiences is what are the options available to you? How do you start to think about how all these different things fit together? What technology are you even going to go to to deliver your learning experience? But more importantly, I think the learner experience really gets at, it's more than just the content. It's more than just the learning objectives that we wrote and whether or not they've been met. You really need to think about all the other things that go around with it. Who are they learning with? Who? What are they learning? How long are they in it? What are they feeling? Who are they sharing it with? Where are they going to find that learning? And we as designers are really responsible for facilitating that experience and really supporting a learner through their whole journey, not just like delivering a one-time learning event. Okay, interesting. So what is that like on the L&D side of things? If you're an L&D professional, for example, how is designing a learning experience, as you just described, different than the more old school, say, uh, designing a particular course? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I think us as learning professionals are still continuing to try to figure that out. And in fact, my boss and I have a a running joke that when we come into meetings and introduce ourselves, we introduce ourselves as recovering instructional designers. And it's a joke, but at the same time, we really do feel like it's such a shift that we are doing our job so differently now. It's like we, I have a formal degree, a master's degree in instructional design. And and while a lot of that still applies, I know the things that I'm thinking about now and the conversations that I have with clients just feel so different than what they did 10, 15 years ago, or even just three or four years ago for that matter. Um, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say to expand on that a bit. So I think, I think one of the biggest pieces to that for me is a really Think about the design beyond just the content. This is really more about that that systemic thinking, the whole sum of all the parts kind of, of language is uh, is where we're going. And when you're talking about designing an experience, you're not just designing the content. Obviously, that's still important. You still need to figure out what's the right modality, what's the right interaction, what are you asking the learners to do? Of course, that all still is there. But really thinking beyond that to things like the marketing and communication plan and how do you you know keep the learner engaged throughout the experience or thinking about 
all of the human interactions that need to happen and how do you manage those interactions. So we typically refer to that as our moderation and coaching plan, really building a support system around the learners for who else they're going to be interacting with, who's really responsible for keeping them engaged, if you will. So it's all those kinds of things. It's about what are your motivation strategies? How do you start to manage change management that goes along with what they're learning? Okay. So can you give us an example of what this might look like? And I'll give you a, like a hypothetical. And then, so here it is. Let's say that you're training salespeople on a new product. And the old school version of that might mean you need to show up at, in this classroom for the next three days, and we're going to tell you everything you need to know about this product, a uh, lot of bullet pointed slides and that kind of thing. What would the learner experience, the designed learner experience version of that look like utilizing the modern tools that that we have today? Yeah, so again, it goes back to what do I have at my disposal? So obviously the, the answer to that might change depending on what client I'm talking to. But let me just give you an off the top of my head idea around that. One of the, the big solutions that we tend to go to a lot these days is what we would refer to more as like a cohort based and time bound, but spaced learning journey. So I know that's a lot of buzzwords in, mm -hmm. in there, but we would try to organize something that's not just that three day event or that one time event. And we'd really try to organize the learning into something that might stretch over three weeks or even six weeks and really try to, to build not just like the delivery of content into that, but really build a community, build um, the learning interactions into it so that they're sharing stories with each other. They're having an opportunity to practice along the way. They might record their sales pitch on a video, submit it on an online platform and get their peers to review it and get some feedback as part of that. So we might build out a whole variety of different types of modalities that both touch on the self-directed one-way learning style that the oldie learning courses had to have, but also tap into sort of that instructor-led aspect of it. So it really is getting into truly what blended learning was supposed to be about. And to hark back on what I just said in terms of thinking about the bigger picture of the systemic thinking and what are all those extra parts that we'd have. Mentioning things like the marketing communication plan, for example, throughout that journey, whether it's three weeks or six weeks or eight weeks, we would want to have communications before the event, during the event, after the event, and I'm using the word event, I just realized in probably the wrong way. So you really want throughout that whole journey, though, you're going to have a communication plan. And that, so that's really reminding them of what's happening, what's new in the organization in, in that event or in that learning experience. What should they be coming back to? And I think it's also about what do you do before the learning experience even starts? Like, how do you get people to come to the event in the first place? So getting creative with marketing ideas and things like that. And actually, I, one idea that just, you know, occurred to me that's how do you start to tap into the creativity of that? So we had one of our partners that actually distributed cardboard cutouts with an insert your face image on them, if you hmm. can imagine that. So like the big boards you would see at a sporting event and things like that, where everybody stands behind the board and you get your picture taken. Mm -hmm. They did that in a miniature format where they sent out these little cardboard cutouts for everybody. People took selfies of themselves and they started this whole like viral social thing with people posting selfies of themselves in these ridiculous cardboard cutouts. And it started like the, a whole conversation about what the learning was going to be before you even got into the learning. And we borrowed that idea and did it in another event that we worked on where those pictures actually became the profile pictures in the platform where the learners were 
taking the rest of the, the, the course. So there's just lots of different ways that you can really think about how do you get people engaged? Where does the learning actually start? How do they get to it? How do they work with each other you know, throughout that entire experience? Now, the example you just described, that sounds like a lot of fun. It's a whimsical idea. Mm -hmm. To what extent is enabling learners to have fun and to be entertained to a certain degree, to what extent is that useful? Is that something that designers should be actively trying to do? I definitely think it is. As learning professionals now, we are competing with everything else that's out there in the entertainment industry. And not just the entertainment industry, but think about in your everyday life today, if you need to know how to do something, where do you typically go to find the answer? I'll go to YouTube. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. I, I feel safe by asking that question because everybody gives me the same answer. Right. Yeah, like you can find any answer to anything you want on YouTube. And in many ways, those videos are really entertaining or really helpful. So yeah, I think we are absolutely in direct competition with a lot of those things that are out there. So yeah, I think you do need to find a way to make it interesting, to make it engaging, to and to really make it relevant to the learners. And, and I think actually one of the one of the things that comes to mind too along that fun world, and this speaks to you know, some of the technologies that are out there and also in that systemic thinking world is gamification. One of the ways we start to make things fun is to add points and badges to things. How do you start to encourage people and motivate people to keep going? And points and badges are one of the ways that you might do that. It's always, and I always laugh when we talk to, to clients about this because the inclination is that points and badges don't matter and that learners won't care. And I will freely admit that I was on that bandwagon when I first started as well. And learners have repeatedly proven me wrong. <laughs> that mm. It really is a good motivating factor. Uh, and it's amazing when you put a leaderboard into something, mm. how much even like your most senior people in an organization get competitive. So I think, yeah, there's lots of ways that you can add in that fun element and really think about doing things differently in a learner experience that you couldn't do in the old version of training. Yeah. Having been through a bunch of corporate training myself, I can say that one ingredient that seemed to be usually missing was the fun ingredient. It mm -hmm. was often just boring. And the people who designed it didn't seem to put a lot of thought into how are we going to engage and entertain these folks and make it fun and not just something they have to endure. Yeah, I'm glad that you said that because it brings up another you know, sort of tenet of our design philosophy when we start talking about designing a learning experience. And that is this concept of push versus pull. And I think what you just described is what I would say is a push philosophy. And I think we've all been subject to that, especially when we start thinking about things like compliance training, yeah. where you get an email from your LMS that says, you've been enrolled in harassment training. It must be completed by March 1st. That is very much a, it, it's been pushed to you. You had a requirement. You have to do it. There's no getting out of it or around it. And what we really try to think about is more the pool side of it, of that that viral nature of the selfie photos we are talking about is maybe one way you get into that. How do you pull people into an experience and make them want to be there? How do you really think about them getting into a learning experience, not because they have to, but because the content is relevant and there's something interesting happening there. So actually, let me give you another example of that. Sure. So again, speaking of our Marcom world that I live in, that's one of the important pieces of every learning journey or learning experience that we put together. So one of, one of the things that we typically do is what we refer to as a finish strong message. If we're talking about that journey that we are talking about our sales training, that maybe it stretches over three weeks or six weeks, 
at the end of each week, we'd send out a communication that says, don't forget, this is out here. You're supposed to have made it this far through the journey. And it may have some of those check the box requirements in it. But the other thing we try to do is really look at what's happening in the experience. So if you've incorporated social interactions, for example, and they've got a discussion thread going, our moderators will go in there, curate what's happening in the discussion and look for those really golden nuggets, those really good stories that somebody shared or really good insight from someone. And we'll pull those out and drop them into our communication so that when that communication goes out, it's not just a, hey, you need to do this, but it's also, if you haven't logged in a while, here's what you're missing. And you've got real life commentary there from people that that work with you at your organization. So we're A, hopefully inspiring people to come back, pulling them back into the experience, but we're also rewarding the people that were there by giving them that public recognition of, hey, you did something really nice. So those are the kinds of things that we think about when we're designing these experiences. Oh, that's really interesting. That makes sense. It's a way of branding the experience. And uh, people are are likely to engage more if their peers and colleagues recommend it. Yeah, yeah. If they recommend it and they see that they're in there doing it, 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 you want to join the party. So I I think one, one common theme of everything we've been talking about is that these experiences need to be driven by by the needs of the learner. In other words, learner-centric design, to use Mm -hmm. a kind of technical term. But does this mean giving learners what they say that they want, maybe on surveys that you send out? Or does it also mean creating experiences that learners need, even if they're not always totally aware that they need it? (laughs) It's a great question. And honestly, I think it's a little bit of both. I think as designers, as subject matter experts, we have this tendency to think that we know better. It's a trap that we all fall into, whether we will admit it or not. We like to think that we know better. And we tend to, dare I say, inflict upon our learners what we think they need. And I think, as you said, this moving to more of a true learner-centric design process rather than a content-centric design process is really all about changing that idea and changing that philosophy and trying to put the learner at the beginning instead. Really, how do you involve them earlier in the process? How do you involve them more often in the process? How do you bring them to the table to really get their input and listen to them? I think as much as sometimes they think they need something and we don't necessarily agree with it, there's usually some bit of truth in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like you still need to put your professional lens on it and be able to interpret what it is that they're saying, but their input is really valuable. So I think we tend to borrow lately from things like design thinking and the principles that go with it with like empathetic interviewing. We try to get into things like voice of the learner processes where we put early prototypes in front of learners as quickly as we can to try to get real time real feedback from people. Is this something you're going to use? Really try to incorporate time for evaluation, try time to make improvements and to work in that more agile kind of way. So yeah, I think it's both. It's We're still responsible for delivering content and meeting the needs of the business. There's obviously, there was a budget and a timeline and a reason that was put out there to say this training is needed. But at the same time, you've got to recognize that If the learners don't think it's relevant to them and it doesn't fit into their environment and how they're going to use it, it won't get used. So you really, yeah, you really have to do both. Mm -hmm. And to use that feedback to to keep developing the the learning journey over time so that it better suits the needs of the learner as they experience it. Yeah, definitely. Kara, what's one thing that L&D professionals can start doing 
now, like today, to does start designing learning experiences that better align with their learners' needs. Can I have two? More so I think, yeah, I think the two things that I would say that that actually sum up hopefully everything we've been talking about for the last little bit is first, I'm I'm actually going to repeat what I just said. First, involve the learners, involve them early, and involve them often in whatever way that that you can. That doesn't necessarily mean doing a deep dive needs analysis that takes you months, but look for the easy ways you can get the learner more involved. And then two, I think it is that think systemically. You're not just building a course that's a one-time event with a bunch of content. You're building an experience. And an experience means thinking about all of those things surrounding the content that influence what the learner is doing, where they're doing it, how they're experiencing it, who they're experiencing it with. Think about all those extra pieces that surround it and really design intentionally for all of those things. Yeah, great insights. Kara, thank you, as always, for a great discussion. Yeah, likewise. It's always fun to, to come and chat. And obviously, I'm pretty passionate about all of this, and it's, it's fun to be able to share it with others. We appreciate it. And for our listeners, as always, thanks for listening. The Performance Matters podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com slash podcasts.